Hello and welcome to the On Stage Colorado podcast. I'm your host, Alex Miller, and today I'm really excited to have a very special guest on the show. Playwright Bonnie Metzger has a long history in the theater, and although she's based in Chicago now, she's also spent a lot of time in Colorado, including as Associate Artistic Director of Curious Theater from 2004 to 2007. She's back in Denver for the world premiere of her new play, You Lost Me, which opened January 24th at the Denver Center's Ricketson Theater. I originally heard a reading of this play at last year's Colorado New Play Summit, and I was struck by the unique time-traveling script Metzger wrote. The action jumps from 1828 to present day and weaves in the tale of a long-ago shipwreck, a real-life heroine who helps save 160 Irish immigrants from the sea, and the contemporary characters living in that same place while the ghosts and memories of that traumatic event still hold sway. Under the direction of Margot Bordelon and the Denver Center's extraordinary production crew, Metzger's script is brought fully to life on stage in unexpected and, yes, dramatic new ways. Here's my interview with Bonnie Metzger. All right, here we are at the Denver Center with playwright Bonnie Metzger, and she is the um, playwright for You Lost Me, which is uh, opening very soon here, and uh, which was at the Colorado New Play Summit last year. So we got to see, uh, hear the reading of the original uh, kind of version of it. So now we're going into like the, the real deal. So um, I wanted to start off by asking uh, what inspired this story? Uh, it's based on true events, correct? Yeah, it's definitely based on a remarkable moment in history when a woman named Anne Harvey, who was 17 years old at the time in 1828, saved 166 Irish survivors from a shipwreck off the coast of Newfoundland. Um, And I just went looking, I really wanted to write something that was about a female hero, a heroine. Um, And also I thought it was really important to tell a story where one person uh, took an action that made a big impact is I think sometimes in a, like the time that we're in right now, you can feel like, oh my gosh, how I'm just one little person. How can really I make a difference. Uh, And this is an example in history where this one person, you know, she was with her dad and her little brother and some debris was in the waves near their house and nobody lived anywhere nearby. And she said, you know, I think there's been a shipwreck and she convinces her dad to go out and they get just to the edge of the harbor, which is like a mile. And her dad said, well, you know, this ship must have must have gone down. And Anne Harvey said, no, we're going to keep going. And she somehow convinces her father to, uh, to go on. Um, and sure enough, they ground the next point. And then there are a hundred, several, 200 people, you know, that, that, um, were alive. And then she and her brother and her dad over the next 48 hours, save 166 people. Wow. Yeah. yeah it's incredible. <laughs> and, and how did you discover this story? I was doing, I was actually, um, I was, uh, I went back to get my graduate degree, uh, late in, in life, something I started when I was in my twenties. And then I went back and, um, they were offering a class that was in, um, in docudrama, which is a, based on a, a document in history. And so I went looking for a story, but then I actually had to find documentation for this story. Um, and, um, there's a ship, a ship's manifest. That's a list of the names of the survivors. And that's that's the historical document that really proves that this event happened. And then Anne Harvey went on to actually get um, a medal from the the king 
of England at the time, um, because all of the people were, even though the, they were Irish, the ship itself was was British and it flew under a British flag and she got this citation. So um, it really came from this idea of, oh my gosh, there's like a list of names of human beings that's a ship's manifest. And that's how we think about like a historical documentation. But really every single one of those names represents like an incredible story and a story of resilience and survival. And, um, and I was really struck about that and how, how we think about history and what gets to count as a historical document um, and those names themselves. But you hear them throughout the play of You Lost Me. Uh, and and we try to humanize that list um, in the theater. Right. And I have to say that was one of the things that really stuck with me after the reading was the, the way you used the manifest, just the list of names. You know, it was really uh, amazing the way uh, you, you put that into the, the the script itself. And Yeah. And one of the things about the document is it was handwritten and it still exists. And it is a very human. It's like one person took the time to write down every single one of those names. And so in the theater, we're really, we're, we, we are telling human stories, you know. There's something even about the fact that that handwriting preserved those names. It feels like I'm now passing on all of those names to a whole other generation of people. And now we're looking at them and understanding, yeah, all of those people survived. So um, so you had, the as we mentioned, the reading of this uh, at last year at the New Place Summit. So how much has the script changed since then? Are you making changes as we, as we speak? Or? Well, the script has actually changed quite a bit. Uh, as you know, because you've heard it, it's told in a lot of small little pieces. There's so many different puzzle pieces to the story because there is that story of the shipwreck and then there's a contemporary story of what's happening now in that little town in, in Newfoundland. Um, and so the the basic shape is still the same, but what happens and what gets told and what piece of their stories gets told, that's the part that's really changed as what happens when you bring actors into the process is that they can show you what part of the emotional story is present and what part of the emotional story could you continue to write. So for instance, today, we are three days from opening. We're putting in changes today. And each of the pieces are really a deepening of what's already in the play. But um, uh, there's a sister of the main character that you get to know a little bit about. And and many people have come to the play over the past couple of previews that said, can we know a little bit more about the relationship with the sister. So that little deepening of that story went in today. Um, also there's a phone call, there's a flashback of a phone call. And similarly, like it's always existed, but people wanted more and wanted a deepening. So that, that text went in today. Um, so that, that, that's the way that, that a script really changes over the course of something like the Colorado uh, the Summit for New Plays is there's a deepening process because I got to work with actors last year that taught me quite a bit about the play and audiences last year. And now that it's being fully produced, the, the audience of the previews and the actors teach again a whole new layer of of where the play could go did any of those actors from the reading come back by chance it was such a good reading oh cast. my god it was so <laughs> amazing uh, we did end up with one of the actors gareth Sachs, who plays 
this incredible character, Pastor Paul, who's a tourist, who's like a wandering tourist who shows up at the inn because that the house where Anne Harvey, the original shipwreck that tried to keep everyone alive, that house now is con- in present time is a contemporary inn. And so there's this traveler who comes to the inn and really ch- changes the life of the lead character present day Anne Harvey. Um, so that actor, Gareth Sachs, who was in the original, he also plays numerous characters in the in the past. Uh, he's continued on and and he's wonderful. And he's um, he's a crowd favorite, I think it's safe to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I also wanted to ask, so 1828, I mean, uh, people from Ireland, very different from people today living in Newfoundland. How did you um, figure out the voices of those two different uh, groups of people. Characters. Oh my gosh. Do you mean the, the accents themselves? That's one thing. It's, it's almost, it's like an acrobatic act because you have, um, the actors have to, they speak in Newfoundland accents, but then they also speak in Irish accents. And so, and, and it's really cool thing when you experience it because you, that's one way that an, a culture has impact on another culture is it actually impacts the accent, and so you hear that happening over the course of the play. What happens in Newfoundland is, you know, it's it was primarily settled because it had this incredible rich fishing. And so all of these people came over from Ireland, largely originally fishermen and families of fishermen, because the cod that you could that you could just, you know, throw a line in and they'd basically jump out of the water into your boat, you know. Um, and uh, and all of those Irish immigrants changed the culture in Newfoundland. And now there's the, the way that um, if you travel in Newfoundland, you can just hear, you know, the, uh, the Irish in the language itself, but also in the food, you see it in even in the, the plants that are growing, you know, they came over with the Irish. So there are certain berries that now grow there that came from Ireland. Um, and that, that way that cultures um, are impacted by entire waves of immigration, like what happened in the 19th century in Newfoundland, it's really profound when you can hear it in the language. Right. So there's the the language that you had to kind of figure out. And then the the sensibilities of of those uh, people in those different times. Was that something you had to kind of parse in your script or... Yeah, you know, one of the other things that's really uh, been such a, a gift is that uh, the Denver Center um, funded a trip for me and my director, Margot Bordelon, who's an incredible director. And we both went to Newfoundland together this summer. Uh, and there was this... Uh, elaborate, incredible exhibit in St. John's, which is the capital of Newfoundland, um, in their heritage museum about Irish immigration. So it's something that they've, they have great pride in, in Newfoundland. And, um, and we learned so much from, because it's something that, um, that, that they've really preserved is how those different waves. And in particular, um, this play is about Catholic Irish immigrants, many of whom actually ended up more in the St. John's area. So in the Southern coast of Newfoundland, they, they're a minority, a Catholic minority. And that also is really an interesting part of the play as well. And then another thing I recall from the reading was that some of the, there's some overlap between the characters from the past and the characters in the, in the present. I mean, do you see the ones from the past? Are they like ghosts or are they something else? 
That's such an interesting question. I think of it, one of the things that the play is really about is how certain landscapes in certain places that you go, um, you probably are familiar with this feeling where you go there and you feel like, oh, you can feel the history. So you feel, yes, I'm here, but also you feel like generations of people have been in this exact place where you're standing. And the idea of the play is that this house somehow holds, of course, the people who live there right now, but all of these generations of of this same family, the Harvey family, and then all of the Irish people who ended up staying in this house after this wreck. Um, so they do they do feel a bit like ghosts because they do feel like they're happening in the past. And yet the play is really trying to bring them to life and you get to know their story and some of their emotional life as well. So they're not just ghosts. We think sometimes that ghosts are a little bit more hollowed out. These are rounded humans with stories um, that are like echoes to what's happening in the present day. Right. That's fascinating because, you know, I, I sometimes think Americans especially don't think a whole lot about who was here before us when we were, you know, in our house or whatever, you know, and I think about that. I'm like, I wonder who was here, you know, and, and trying to explore that in a, in a place that's, uh, it, that's one of the, the neatest aspects of the play, I think. They're, they're actually on an island, right? Yeah, well, Newfoundland itself is an island. Yeah, and then uh, originally, Anne Harvey and her family did live just off of the coast on a small rocky island called Islemore, Island of the Dead. Now the entire little town around that harbor is called Islemore. So it started as an island, but now it's a kind of a town that encompasses a number of rocky islands as well as like this little harbor. Um, and, you know, but anywhere, any, any island that you spend a lot of time on, uh, there's this sense that half of the people love there and they never want to be anywhere else. And the other half are just, they just can't wait to get off the island. You know, there's that kind of closing in isolation that, you know, that can choke people off and they're like, oh my God, get me off the island. You know, so the play is really about that, 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 um, that divide, you know, within this community of people who love it there, who can't imagine being anywhere else. And then especially the younger generation that just cannot wait to, for their life to start this first step of which is get me off this island, you know? Right, yeah, they feel trapped. They're trapped, you know, and they're like, oh my God, get me off of here. Onstage Colorado is the state's best place to find information about live theater. Our website at onstagecolorado.com has the most comprehensive calendar for live performances, not just in the metro area, but all around Colorado. That means you can find shows from Boulder to Breckenridge, Denver to Durango, and everywhere in between. Also, the Onstage Colorado review crew gets out to see many of the shows going on around the state. So if you'd like to know more about a show before you buy tickets, chances are we've got a review of it online you can read first. To keep on top of it all, subscribe to our weekly newsletter on the site. It comes out every Thursday and has the latest reviews, podcasts, and also a lineup of new shows opening around Colorado. Find it all on onstagecolorado.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Onstage Colorado podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms. So um, in, the, in the show notes, it says, uh, and the quote here was, uh, every moment holds the opportunity to change everything. And I thought that was kind of interesting and, and I'm not sure where that came from, but I was wondering what, what that meant to you in relation to, to your play. Well, we watch, well, our, all of our lives feel that way, right? We can track 
which moments really things could have gone another direction. It's so familiar. And one of the things when we are working in the theater, what we're trying is to capture something about life, you know, that is so um, potent for us, right? And so uh, these characters, particularly the characters in the present, uh, are every day making these choices. And as an audience, we see... Oh my God, if they had, so the, the one point there's this decision that these teenagers are making, you know, should we drive all night and go to a crazy concert or should we stay home and work our jobs? And you have two teenagers that take two, who answer that in two different ways. And we see how that plays out. And it's so familiar in our lives. You know, we all know people or, or ourselves in the moment when we've made a terrible decision that we wish we could take back and it sets off this chain of events and that happens in the course of the play. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, all the stuff we think we're planning our lives and, and yeah. stuff just happens. Right. Exactly. So, so I wanted to ask a little bit about you and, um, your, your, uh, your life as a playwright. And when, when was the first moment you thought like, Hmm, yeah, maybe I could write a play or, or maybe a couple of scenes. How did that start for you? Yeah. Well, you know, I came into the theater actually through the pit band when I was in high school, I played in the orchestra of musicals um, in Connecticut where I grew up and it really is just a thing that just takes over you, you know, where you're, it's, a, it's the theater is just something that just gets in your blood at a certain point. Um, and when I got to college, um, I happened to, my life was it, it intersected with this incredible person named Paula Vogel, who's one of our great playwrights who just had a piece done here at, at the Denver center, um, this, this past year. Uh, and she, she just was a captivating person who convinced me that I could write a really great play, you know, and sometimes we get lucky and we have these teachers that cross our paths that, um, like I did with Paula and, um, and it really changed my life and it set me on a path. Um, I went on, I, I, you know, I've, I'm a playwright, but I'm also a director. I'm a producer. You know, I've, I've done everything in the theater, I, and I love doing um, all different kinds of things. I've been an artistic director, you know. Um, and Paula is really from a generation um, where you were trained to do everything, that to be a theater person, you had to do everything, and you had to get up on a ladder and, you know, do lighting and do everything. And that was really the kind of training that she set me off to as well. Um, but playwriting, I, I, you know, even though I started as a musician very early on, I loved writing. I loved writing for the theater. Um, it's, um, you know, it's incredible to write something that then an audience comes to and responds to. And um, that has definitely been my experience over the preview process for, for this play. Right. And I, I was going to ask a little bit about that when you, um, you know, writers write alone for the most part. Um, you know, novelists never get, you know, unless their thing gets you know turned into a play or a screenplay or something like that. But playwrights have the advantage of, you know, being able to see their, their stuff in front of, a, of an audience. So what is that like when you see it go from the page to a reading and then a reading to a fully realized play? Is that pretty? Amazing? Oh, my God. It's so it's so incredible. I mean, for a play like this, for anyone who comes, the atmosphere that is evoked of Newfoundland, you know, um, by this, the design team, the director, um, the costumes, it's 
it could not really come to life, you know, uh, unlike some other plays that are, this play has to evoke this incredible place and these different time periods and what they sound like. And, you know, you feel when you walk into the theater, like you hear the sound of the ocean and, and it's in our bodies and we all go, oh my God, I want to go to the ocean, you know? Um, so, so giving that experience to the audience and then inside of that evocation that the designers have set for everyone, this incredible feeling of being by the ocean to, to feel the story being told by the actors. It's, it's been really extraordinary, but you do, you do feel as a playwright, perhaps unlike a novelist, you know, I started the ball rolling, but all of these other collaborators, these incredible actors and all these designers, you know, make this thing together. Um, and that's a great joy of working in the theater, you know, and it's something unique in the theater that you share it. And then the audience comes in and they, they are finished, you know, they finish it for right. you. Yeah. They, they add that final component, right? Um, as a playwright, what is one of the, um, is there a particular part of the process that that's more challenging for you than others? Like maybe your dialogue comes right out, but plot is not so easy or, or anything like that. I would say for me, I mean, and, and that's the thing I'm still working on, you know, I'm someone like, I really believe what's exciting about the theater is that, uh, we have to tell a big story in two hours. And so it's all about all the things we leave out. You have to leave out a lot of parts of the story. And I love that about the theater. And a lot of my work has a kind of mystery to it because I've left big chunks out. Um, and yet that that puzzle of like what's enough for an audience so they can piece it together and the pleasure we all have of a puzzle where we piece it together. Oh my God, that's what's happening. You know, um, it's really easy to have the wrong pieces. And, and that's my real struggle is always figuring out where do I need to add something? Because that, that's a, like we were just talking about, it's like a deepening and the audience is really looking for that. And where actually is it more satisfying to leave it as a mystery so that you don't know? There's so much in life in general we don't know. You know, we want to know desperately and then we don't know. And so a lot of in the, my struggle in the theater is trying to figure out where does the audience need a little bit more and where would it be more interesting actually not to just to leave it open and, and leave it as a question. Wow. Yeah. That's a fascinating way to look at it and, and probably something that uh, takes a while to get to uh, in the, in the craft of, of playwriting. You mentioned how influential Paula Vogel was to you. Um, are you uh, paying it forward? Do you have some people that you're working with to inspire or? Well, I'm definitely a teacher, like Paula is. Um, I've always been a teacher. Right now, I teach at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Um, I love teaching, mostly just because I also love um, young artists and working with young artists, and I'm really energized, especially I love, um, you know, when people first leave high school. So when they're 18, 19, they're trying to figure out who they are and they start to make things as an artist. That's a really incredible time in the life of when, when anyone's starting to figure out who am I, you know, and that they start to make work. So I love teaching artists, but I also really love to, um, to catch them early in their journey, um, and to, help them learn the foundations to become theater artists and to get drawn into the theater. Um, I'm a believer in the arts 
really changing the world for the best. And so I really believe in um, creating a bridge to to make that possible for young people and, and that that's going to help our culture move forward in an interesting way. All right. Um, so uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, and I know you're deep in, you lost me right now, uh, but what's next? Do you have uh, something else on the, the board? Oh my gosh. You know, I've been writing this play about a shark. Uh, for a couple of years, you know, um, when I was young, there was this movie Jaws that was very formative to me um, because it really posited that like the worst thing that could happen is to be in a beach town and there's a shark in the water. <laughs> right. And the play is really about maybe I'm thinking about that shark in the wrong way. And I think a lot of artists right now were really asking questions about the ocean because the ocean's really in trouble. And so sharks, sharks are really, you know, and a lot of, a lot of um, who we think of as predators who we've always kind of been told this story about like, Oh my God, they eat everyone. And yet when they're in trouble, what does that do to change the story and how do we need to shift our perspective on that? So um, that's the next play I'm writing. Wow. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, uh, Bonnie Metzger, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us on the onstage Colorado podcast. We're really looking forward to seeing the, uh, the opening night uh, on Friday of um, you lost me and uh, best of luck with it. Thanks. Thanks so much. So I saw you lost me a few days after we recorded this interview, and it's quite an impressive production. As much as I enjoyed the original reading, this is the kind of script that benefits greatly from some theater magic to help set the scene. I found myself looking online at a map of Newfoundland and the rocky coast where the story is set. It's about as close as you can get to Ireland while still in North America, so it's understandable how that influence came to be and why it persists in the area. Thanks again to Bonnie Metzger for being on the podcast and also to Brittany Gutierrez at the Denver Center who helped set this up. Right after I spoke with Metzger, we also recorded an interview with playwright Tony Manessis, whose play 2050, another world premiere that came out of last year's New Play Summit, opens in the Denver Center's Space Theater February 7th. So that'll be live on the pod next week, so check it out. If you're looking for shows, showtimes, reviews, and more, be sure to check out OnStageColorado.com, Colorado's premier live theater website. Thanks for listening to the Onstage Colorado podcast, and we'll see you at the theater.